0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive.
2: That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Brad Bogus. He is an expert in the cannabis space on marketing and content and branding and positioning. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his experience in the cannabis space, the interest he has in the plant, in the chemistry, and then the work that he does to help with storytelling, with brand building, with really marketing and connecting folks to the product and his experiences and insights. So I'm excited to have this. I think that uh, the, the marketing part of cannabis is just starting to kind of really take off in the industry as we start to grow and really kind of looking at the strategies and the technologies and the techniques that we use is just starting to kind of blossom uh, in the space obviously there's a lot going on in different industries but it's fun to see it kind of play out in the cannabis space obviously we've got our unique situations and legal frameworks and things that we operate in so it always makes it fun but you know there's really interesting stuff going on so with that
3: Brad welcome to the program yeah thanks for having me Bruce yeah
2: so let's do background first of how do did you get into cannabis? What's the backstory? What was the thing that prompted you to uh, really get into the space?
3: Yeah, well, I, I first started smoking weed again in 2005. I say again, because like, obviously there was the high school experience. But <laughs> yeah. ironically, I was a straight edger, a hardcore straight edger, punk uh-huh. rocker for the time between I was 17 and 23. But it, it wasn't until I was 25 that I started smoking weed again. And um, this was in Austin, Texas. I had just started a media marketing startup Because initially I studied to be an actor, wanted to be a filmmaker, figured making my own films and casting myself in it would be easier than auditioning for (laughs) somebody (laughs) else's films. Right. So we took that route. And, you know, I kept finding different people that I could source cannabis from in Austin, Texas. You know, this is like your traditional illicit market purchasing behavior and replete with all the weird experiences. But initially I found some folks who were consulting very early on in the cannabis space and were super knowledgeable about. The science of cannabis. And so I started getting really interested in what the plant can do for people, probably around 2012. Mm-hmm. And and around uh, then I had also read The Emperor's The Emperor Wears No Clothes, the Jack Harrer book, and mm-hmm. really learned about the plant. And and mostly I learned about the lies that had perpetuated you know the propaganda and yeah. the illegality of cannabis that led us to this weird environment where we were having to purchase from a bunch of skeezy people illegally mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that fired me up like like I said earlier kind of that punk rock sensibility of mine whenever i find out the government's lying i want to i, I want to <laughs> shout that from the rooftops i love it but but at this point i was running a marketing agency in this in austin and working a lot within like marketing and tech and i just kind of you know found myself a little bit bored and ready for something new. And when I did that, I w- was talking with the mentor. I said, you know, what should I focus on? He said, make it easy, pick an industry that actually interests you. Yeah. And I was like, dude, the cannabis industry. <laughs> I, I know so much about it already. Yeah. I'm fired up about it. It's a brand new industry. Like, how often in a lifetime does an industry start from scratch in front of your very eyes yeah, exactly. and give you the opportunity to be a part of it? Yeah. And and not only that, but like to create the right industry, you know? I've been working in the corporate social responsibility space with tech and and oil and gas and real estate companies, and trying to get those companies to do the right thing is such an incredibly difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like rolling a twenty ton boulder uphill. Sisyphean you know? task, as we like to say. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, and too Herculean of an effort for me to see the needle being able to move much. Whereas the cannabis industry, starting from scratch with the right bones, mm-hmm. you had people whom already were you know conscious members of their community who had already been helping people. Despite its illegality, putting themselves at risk to help others is like that's an ethos that the cannabis industry was being built off of. It has its own problems, of course, but, you know, that seemed like just a really exciting prospect and that brought me to the industry.
2: Yeah, exciting. And talk to us more about this corporate social responsibility. When we, I mean, I, I'm not sure people know really the details on that. I think people understand the idea of being, you know, responsible and, you know, having some kind of view, you know, bigger than a, a balance sheet or bigger than a kind of uh, profit statement. But what, when you talk about corporate social responsibility, what are you referring to?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's traditionally it's philanthropy, right? But... More recently, corporate social responsibility has become a specific strategy, and in some companies, a whole department of employees that function to make sure that the corporate social responsibility plan is successful. And when you have a true corporate social responsibility plan and strategy in place, it's taking a holistic approach at being a good global citizen, a good community citizen. It's realizing that your company is made up of people. And those people reside and operate within communities, and they all live off of each other. There's a symbiotic relationship between you know, the company, the employees, and the area and region that it works within. Mm-hmm. And it has an impact all across the board. So it's not just what organizations are we donating what percent of our profits to. It's looking at how can we engage our employees to be a part of giving back to the world? How can we ensure that they have a stake at what we do and help guide how we give back as a company, how can we get them involved from a volunteer standpoint? How can we as a company maybe fund that volunteerism and provide them paid volunteer days to get them involved? A true corporate social responsibility strategy is intended to be something that not just gives back to the world, but by doing it the right way can actually be a very profitable initiative for a company to do. And the thing that makes it profitable is productivity and and loyalty from an employee standpoint. When you look at the data that has been done and studied in this space relatively recently, what you find is that employee satisfaction relates entirely to employee productivity. And an employee that is satisfied, that is to say that all of their needs are being met and that's it, they're going to be 100% productive, meaning that they're going to accomplish what you ask them to accomplish because they're satisfied. If they're unsatisfied, they might be 60% productive. If they are an inspired employee or an, you know, a highly engaged employee, they're going to be as many as 300 times more productive than just a merely satisfied employee. And to get somebody inspired as an employee means to get them involved in doing more than just the job. Particularly when you look at the generational changes from baby boomers through Gen X now into millennial and and even Gen Z employees, what we find is that psychologically they care much more about giving back and doing good than they do about money. In fact, if you gave them the option between a monetary pay raise or the ability to be involved in meaningful work, they're always going to skew towards meaningful work yeah. um, based on the numbers. I, not always, that would be 100%, but you know what yeah, I mean?
2: The, yeah, the vast majority.
3: Yeah, they are just much more motivated by ensuring that their work means something and has an impact on the world. So that's all to say that corporate social responsibility is a. It sort of lives with a business plan as a separate business plan almost. And and it guides how the community is affected by your business, how the the community's interests uh, of who your customers are is affected by your business and how your employees are part of that community as well as part of. Your company. And so um, when you tie all those things together, that's how you create true inspiration. Uh, yeah. You don't just see inspiration by, hey, we donated a million dollars to the Cancer Foundation and aren't we great?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely see this sort of trend away from the, you know, we're going to make it up on the backside. <laughs> you know, we we mm-hmm. may do new, uh, you know, things that are not so nice, you know, in the business, but we'll take our profits and we'll like make up for it. I think that no longer cuts it <laughs> in today's that's world. That's right. That's um, right. Uh, tell me a little bit, is there some kind of, well, I guess, is, is this something you need to do as a company off the bat? Like, do you need to kind of do this as you found the company to make this work? Or can you retrofit this into a company that's already going who has a desire to really incorporate a, a, a corporate social responsibility component to their business?
3: I mean, any company can make this choice at any point in time in their in their life. I think to if you're in the founding of a company, to start thinking about this right away is a smart decision. It can guide your entire brand strategy. Um, I'll give you a good example, which is Bloom Farms. Bloom Farms is a cannabis company, they're uh, based in the Bay Area of California, and they've been around for a while. And And very early on, Mike Ray, the CEO of Bloom Farms, made the decision to follow what's called the one-for-one model, which is made very popular by Tom Shoes, yeah. which means you buy a pair of shoes, we give a pair of shoes to someone in need. For Bloom Farms, it was you buy a vape pen, we donate a meal to the local food shelter that that vape pen was purchased in. Got it. So if you buy in San Francisco Bay Area, they are going to give a meal to the San Francisco Food Bank or the Oakland Food Bank. If you buy in L.A., they're going to gonna give a meal to the Los Angeles Food Bank, and and they've operated that from the ve- that way from the very beginning. And because they've operated that way from the very beginning, their PR is is much larger than their actual company. I mean, their reputation, the amount of coverage they get, the amount of praise that they get, the amount of awards that they win far outnumbers the size you would expect of their operation. Which is not to say that they're a small dinky operation. They're really a very successful operation, but the point is, is that yeah. that doing this early on, making this like the core of your brand, is like stating a claim and drawing a line in the sand and saying this is what matters to us from the very beginning, and people will respond to that. Again, like nobody is going to see a corporate social responsibility strategy and think that's not valuable. They're going to be inspired by the work that you do, especially if you do it well, and they've always done it very, very well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's led a, an outsized amount of value to come their way in uh, reputation and in PR. And that was because they did it at the very beginning. Now, that's not to say that you can't do it five, ten years in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to do this work. You should start it whenever you have the ability or knowledge to start it. You know, If you've never heard of the term corporate social responsibility before and you're five years into your company, well, guess what? You just now heard the term. Mm-hmm. It's now time to start thinking <laughs> about it, right? Yep, so, can't unhear
2: it. <laughs> exactly,
3: exactly. And it's not hard. It's not like you have to undo things in, yeah. in your company strategy. But if you are operating in a certain way that – might be a little shady or might be a little unethical like mm-hmm. you're going to have to confront that if you want to have a true authentic corporate social responsibility strategy and truly inspire your employees. So, yeah. you know, I guess if you're behaving or setting up a business model that's, you know, n- not necessarily the most corporate socially responsible, then <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you should probably have to deal with those issues before you have a true corporate social responsibility strategy, but now's the time.
2: Yeah, what's and what's your sense of the the trend of this in the cannabis space? I mean, is this something a lot of companies are you Incorporating into their their corporate strategy, is this something that's uh, just kind of getting started? What what have you noticed out in the industry?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's picking up quite a bit. There's a consulting firm that builds corporate social responsibilities directly for companies that I was actually uh, privileged enough to work with, you know, and meet back when I was in Denver. But I also worked with them to build the corporate social responsibility strategy for Confident Cannabis, and uh, they're called Kind Colorado. They work nationwide, but they started in Colorado. And so they they were really early on in this space, like three years ago already, they were talking and, and, and promoting this. But since those three years have passed, not only has their client portfolio grown quite a bit. But I've seen roles start to be hired for that are directors of corporate social responsibility for cannabis companies. In fact, one of my uh, buddies, Mark Ross, uh, got hired to head the corporate social responsibility strategy of a cannabis company uh, just last year. And so you're seeing that the minute you start to see people hiring internally for these positions is when you know that the momentum is picking up. Uh, It's not something that they're just going to get a consultant to do for them. And hopefully it just runs itself. It's something that they... They're saying like, no, we actually need to make this a core part of our business. We need to start hiring for this and eventually even possibly have a department of people who run just this part of the uh, company. And it's, you know, part HR, it's part PR, it's part a lot of things, but yeah. but it's like its own functioning team that has a specific business plan to follow. I think that's been really picking up quite a bit, but it hasn't become mainstream enough that that any significant percentage of cannabis companies across the board are doing it.
2: Yeah. Did you find it's a particular part of the industry. I mean, I can see, I can kind of see the direct application to kind of the brand, the consumer side because it really, it, it's part of the story. It's part of the the message, the ethos of the company that you're building into the communications, to the brand, you know, your relationship with customers. But if you're a testing lab or a processor or a cultivator that's, you know, not consumer facing, how can you incorporate some of this or, or where's the opportunity to incorporate a CSR into your into your strategy?
3: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. I mean, testing labs are a little bit trickier because you don't find that as much of that traditional cannabis ethos in a testing lab. Yeah. Um, the w- when I said that the industry itself is really prime for this type of a strategy, it's because the core ethos of most cannabis companies who have come from the cannabis space prior, who aren't just like green rushers coming yeah. in for the profit, they want to do good. Most of them uh, across the board, like like truly want there to be a better world for for cannabis and also all of us to operate in. So finding what they do, finding the actual function or mechanism of their corporate social responsibility strategy generally isn't that difficult. You know, for Bloom Farms cared a lot about about homelessness and about specific specifically hunger within the homeless community or or also there's food insecurity within uh, more impoverished communities that they really cared about and they were in Oakland and so like you know there the, there's a lot of that there and and that's the community that they operated within. And and that's the thing that they really ultimately cared about some people care uh, a lot about vets maybe they are a vet themselves yeah. um, you know served in iraq and they came back and like you know wanted to do something peaceful to handle you know, the stress of what they had just uh, been through. And so, you know, they'll care a lot about uh, giving back to veterans. You know, whether they're a cultivator, there are a number of different cultivators that are specifically owned and operated by vets and also provide money to veteran projects. There's uh, AIDS and cancer research and a lot of different health maladies that either somebody has a a loved one who has dealt with or has dealt with themselves that then got into cannabis growing or or whatever. And 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 also maybe even a lab, right? So So the idea is like matching what the core issue is that a company or a person within that company really cares about that's leading there. And then making sure that that issue resonates with the other people who are a part of that company. And then the, the what to do becomes kind of easy from that point on. You have to find the right organizations that will work with a cannabis company. That's one of the biggest challenges yeah. to it. Um, that's why working with like Kind Colorado is really beneficial because that's that's sort of their wheelhouse house is pairing the right organizations to the right ethos. But I mean, cannabis companies just generally come into the space for a particular reason. You know, some of them seek profit motive, but most of them realize that even if you are seeking profit motive, you have to authentically speak to your customers and tell them that what you're doing is good because cannabis consumers also care about doing good more than any other consumer. And so... Having an authentic strategy is just a matter of pairing that ethos of what you do to what you can do, and uh, and the organizations that will allow you to do that with them. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that the how is really you know just asking those questions, uh, identifying what you care about, and and what your company and, and your employees care about. If you already have functioning brand and and employees on board, um, surveying them and and giving them a stake at the table is very important. You know, it doesn't mean like do anything that they say. They might want to come up with shoes for pets, but that's not really <laughs> going to make a major impact in the world. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so you know, take that input. You don't necessarily have to follow that input, but but you will find a core thread. Uh, at Confident Cannabis, when we did this work, we found that there was a, a a huge core thread to helping women and people of color get access to the cannabis industry, yeah. and that that had a lot of down stream effects on other issues we cared about, like restorative justice uh, and inclusivity. And so, you know, that came from the whole team that came from the surveying process and finding out that the things that we initially set on that we cared about were also resonating with the, with the company. Yeah. And then you find the right organizations that pair with that. I mean, it's, it's a simple concept it's not easy work.
2: Yeah exactly. It's like many things in life it can be simple but it's not easy.
3: That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly.
2: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the branding and the um, kind of the marketing side, you know, to the extent that you know kind of a similar process I suspect in terms of getting at that ethos, getting at that really what is the core of the company about, what's its purpose, what are the values, how do you kind of approach The marketing uh, of cannabis companies, uh, in terms of you know telling their story, really kind of digging into why they're there and how do you use that effectively from a marketing and communications point of view?
3: Yeah, good question. The I'll start with the thing that annoys me the most, (laughs) which is that cannabis companies tend to market to themselves, and they tend (laughs) to only lesson in life, isn't it? (laughs) It is totally. I mean, that's not just a cannabis problem, but it's definitely rife in the cannabis industry Um, and. You know, the core consumer of cannabis... And the people who start a company might match in the sense that, you know, sometimes talking to yourself is actually a good marketing strategy if you have only one type of consumer and that it looks a lot like you. But for the most part, most of us are trying to build companies that appeal to multiple different customer segments and, yeah. and generate more profit than just a niche little boutique firm can. So, you know, the biggest problem is talking to yourself and saying, well, this is what I think. So this is what our message needs to look like. Or looking at a message that's being contributed to by a marketing professional or even a, an artist who said, you know, I've profiled who our customers should look like. Here's what we need to send to them messaging wise to really relate to them. And then going, yeah, but I don't like that. So let's yeah. change it. Right. So that's thinking inside yourself. Right. That's that's being very internalized about what your message means to the world and, and how it's going to resonate and how you want to speak to the world. So just a little bit more background on me. Yeah. I, I studied theater in college. I didn't go to marketing or business school. I've always been an artist, a painter, a sketch artist, a musician. But acting really sort of was the thing that I sunk my teeth into the most. And, and I love it to a degree that I can't really relate. It's It's mm. so powerful to me whenever I get to see a theater production happen because what I do is I connect to this like source of energy that comes from understanding the characters, that comes from the work that goes into portraying honest, authentic characters, and then how that relates to the audience, how that appeals to them, tugs at them, how you might make them hate you or love you. And and there's a core ethos behind that work that I think all marketing organizations should learn from. And what that is, is character profile work. When you get a cast in a role as an actor, you can't judge your character. You have to actually love your character from the inside, like Mm. that character would love themselves, uh, unless that character hates themselves. But (laughs) the point is, if you're cast as Hitler, you can't go into that role thinking Hitler's an asshole, right? You have to, at least while you're doing the work, you have to be Hitler, right? And, and so I draw that very extreme example, if not only to say that it's very easy for us to judge outwardly who that character is, but if you're doing the right work, you're really sinking into that character and trying to use any relevant experience you've had to breathe life into the emotional moments that character has to provide in the script. And that's known as method acting. People have heard the term the method a lot, or that's a method actor. They might think about Meryl Streep. Uh, is it Was it Meryl Streep that put herself into a coma?
2: Oh, yeah, I think uh, so. I, I, yeah. I, I, I can't remember, but I think you're right, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think she like physically put herself into a coma for a role where she was having to play a comatose character. That's getting a little too into the method. But <laughs> the point is is that you have to really understand the character's motivations, the background of the character, the history of the character, the stuff that's not written in the script. So that when you get to those lines in the script, they're not just somebody reading the lines out loud on a stage. They're actually actually real they come from a place that exists an actual history of that character and that you're able to relate those histories and those experiences to things that you've actually experienced so that you can speak authentically to them method acting to me was the most informative marketing lesson I've ever learned. Interesting. Because when I work for a company, when I'm building a marketing strategy, when I'm starting my own company, whatever it might be, I'm thinking about who is the person that needs to find this product or use this product? Um, Who are my customers? And if you think about this from the source of an actor, you're going to start building character profiles. They call them marketing personas in the marketing world. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a very superficial demographic-based process where you're like, oh, it's, you know, we, we appeal to the 35 to 45 year old soccer mom. Which is already in, in and of itself an offensive demographic, um, but, <laughs> but the point is, is like that's how superficial most persona work is done. Yeah. For me, that persona work is about going really into that character. Like, what does it mean that the thirty-five to forty-five year old, quote unquote, soccer mom is the right person for this product? What is the stress and anxiety that they deal with? What are they afraid of in their normal day-to-day life? What actually motivates them? What do they care about? You know, if you judge this from a superficial basis, you're going to speak in authentically to them when you try to market to them. You're going to give them content yeah. that only says what you want to say, but it's not going to communicate to them in a way that they understand. It's not going to meet them where they are. So, this character work that I learned in theater and and understanding your core customer from a from a place where you are them, where you can think like them, where you can behave like them if, you know, for a certain point and love them. That's when you actually get good quality messaging and good quality advertising. That's when you can make all of the tool sets and the technology behind marketing communications sing, and you can track major KPI boosts across the board when you pair these things correctly. And I'm talking about storytelling in this very esoteric form. I'm talking about good quality content, Mm -hmm. but that content is exactly the type of marketing you need to be doing. Content is king, we say, but it's a false king if you don't really understand the customer that you're you're trying to speak to from an authentic manner.
2: Yeah. What are some of the things you can do to really understand the customer? I mean, I, other than putting yourself into a coma, <laughs> feel what it, what it feels like. But like, how do you actually <laughs> right. gather that insight? Like, what's the conversation? What's the research? What's the what's the process you can go through to really get that kind of insight that's going to drive that quality or that level of engagement from a content and a storytelling point of view?
3: Yeah. I mean, not to oversimplify it, the best method is to talk to them to learn from them. You know, if if I'm building a cannabis company, let's say that I'm I'm building a vape company that I want to specifically appeal to you know, the middle America, not necessarily hyper-conservative, not necessarily hyper-liberal, you know, just sort of like a core customer who is interested in taking a little bit of the edge off of life, who is interested in some of the medicinal benefits, who doesn't necessarily want to get outright stoned and and isn't really into cannabis culture. I'm going to need to understand the different types of people that operate within that space. And I probably know a few of them, either through my friends and family. Mm -hmm. So initially, just start with your own network of people. Hopefully, you don't have a monochromatic network network of people (laughs) and you have, you know, a diverse network that you can tap into to learn from and have calls, have meetings and ask a bunch of questions as if you are trying to investigate them as a journalist, you know, as if you're trying to write their story, not from your perspective, but just from theirs. And if you do this enough, if you get enough statistical significance, the common threads will make themselves very evident, you know. You'll see a lot of similar words, a lot of similar concerns. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, again the superficial demographic of the "quote unquote soccer mom or soccer dad," let's call them soccer parents to be mm-hmm. more inclusive. What is a soccer parent dealing with in a day-to-day basis? You know, they've got most likely more than one child. They're constantly running between one thing to the next. They're having to hyper-organize their day. And that comes with a lot of different, you know, stress and, and like the speed of operation. It's chaotic. It's frenzied. And if you don't have your shit together, you're going to feel like you're being run over by both your kids and their schedules. Yeah. There's a lot of activities that they're involved in. You have to take them from one to the next while also trying to operate an adult life. Most likely you're working. Right. And, and there's these moments where you're sitting on the sidelines and you're not necessarily doing anything for, The course of that 30 minutes to an hour, but watching your kid on the soccer field, right? Or baseball field, or whatever it might be. You can't get drunk during that time because you got to drive them home. Um, You know, you you can't really take the edge off at that point. But maybe if you had a um, very low dose, high CBD vape pen that when you arrive at the field, you could take a couple puffs off of. Nobody would see it. It's discreet. Mm -hmm. You could spend that hour kind of not worrying about what the next thing is and actually being able to be present in the moment for your kid, watching them succeed or fail and just feeling proud of them no matter what, right? Like when you really get down to that motivating factor, you understand the content you need to develop. It's not just you're on the go and, you know, life is tough. So take the edge off, you know, it's really meeting them in that moment where they're like, oh God, I really wish I could just have a beer right now or a wine. Mm -hmm. I wish I could just lay down and close my eyes, but I can't, but I also want to be present for my kid like there's a tension there that, you know, me as an actor, I want to dig into more than I want to dig into the chaos of their schedule. Yeah. And if I can understand that moment right then right there where they where they have that motivation, they need something, but they don't have it, then I might be able to provide them a really like a good uh, solution, a good product that actually resonates and a message that goes with it that gets them to understand and pay attention.
2: Yeah. And how do you go from that uh, insight? And I, and I love the scenario you gave there, because it was it was much more than this is a busy soccer moment, like you you painted a scenario and almost you could see kind of in my mind's eye kind of imagine that feeling of, you know, showing up at the field, having the kid run out of the car, you know, what I'm thinking, you know, looking out through the windshield, you know, kind of this really kind of specific moment. How do you take that and turn that into an actual communication, a a marketing tool, a strategy, a communication, something that I would use to to help actually build the brand for the business?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do this. You know, one way is to actually create. Well, so first off, I I believe very strongly in uh, creating active content like a blog as a company. Generally speaking, I turn whatever company I'm working with into a content publisher. When we were at, when I was at Company Cannabis, the content we were creating, there was multiple different types of content. We were always creating on a calendar, putting out you know as many as four to eight articles every week. And so you know, there's a lot of different customers you'll have. There are a lot of different ways that you can thematically create recurring content. This doesn't fit the soccer uh, uh, initiative very much, but like. For Confident Cannabis, we were working a lot with uh, software to provide to cannabis operators. So there are different types of cannabis operators out there there are cultivators, there are laboratories, there are, you know, wholesalers, and each one of them is sort of interested in different things. So we would tell the stories of farmers in an agricultural spotlight, we would dig into scientific information in the chemistry spotlight. And we, we do that because, you know, again, we sort of understood these moments where you find these people with interest in something that you can do and touch and, and we were providing them a constant ongoing stream of that content. So getting back to creating a vape pen for Busy parents, the articles that you should create should speak to these different types of moments where where things are hard. We should not necessarily think, "How do I sell my product?" But how do yeah. I tell this story? Yeah. Just by merely telling the story. You don't even need to have a call to action in that story, right? You can just be like telling like that story I just told you um, and let that be alone because it being produced by your brand already is going to create that that subconscious link to the consumer, right? So there are a lot of ways to do this. So you tell this story a few different ways. You find ways to dig into these moments. You find ways to celebrate the things that they care about. You can tell a story about kids accomplishing something. You can tell stories within your company, like how have... You, as a, as a founder of your company, uh, experience this. Tell yeah. your own story. Interview these people and tell their stories, right? You know, yeah. Maybe you find an influencer in the space or you, know, you have a, a business partner who helps you develop your product that you want to interview. You, know, you can be kind of creative and, and act almost like a journalist for telling these stories within your company. That, that's one really like, solid way to just create an ongoing stream of content. That speaks to these motivating factors and these moments that exist all over the place. It's not just on the soccer field that that moment exists, right? And there are moments at home. Uh, there are moments at, sure. at restaurants, right? Like yeah. you know, just think about the chaos of being in a restaurant as a parent. You know, it's still the same soccer parents, right? But after after soccer, they have to take their kids out to eat, mm-hmm. and their kids are probably, depending on their age. You know, potentially loud and messy and chaotic, and then they want to go hang out with their friends afterwards. But like, you know, you got to pay the bill. Like, all oh, that tension exists, right? You probably also want to hit your vape pen for that too. <laughs> trust <laughs> you know, trust so, me, I'm a, I'm a father of four, so yeah, so you know this very well. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, I'm having um, to guess here because I don't have children yeah. yet, but but I know I'm going to do get a there good job. I've been, I've been paying enough attention to the people around me who go through yeah, it exactly. and really empathizing with exactly. them. Exactly. Well, I think so. I think how that's do you create this? Is? is you tap. Into empathy. You know, empathy is it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, this has been a pleasure. Um, Brad, if people want to find out more about you, the work that you do, what's the best way to get
3: that information? Well, you can uh you know follow me on the socials. Uh (laughs) on Twitter, I'm at force ghost brad, but um Brad Bogus pretty much everywhere else, like LinkedIn and Instagram. And I'm I'm usually pretty active on those channels. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I'm doing something cool, I'm gonna be posting it there. Um, certainly a lot of the cannabis chemistry stuff that, uh, that I was doing, uh, previously, I, yeah. I would also post there. So yeah. it's a pretty good way to follow me.
2: Yeah, I would, I'll, I'll put the, uh, your links in the show notes so people can click through but I would encourage people to go check it out because you do, you do a lot of really interesting work. So this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Great conversation. And I really
3: appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate you having me on.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.